What's up, everybody? Uh, this is Luke here again with a new episode of Talking on a Mic, and I'm pretty excited about this one. This one should be pretty good. I got uh, Darshan here with me. Um, Darshan, what's up? Hey, Luke, how's it going? Pretty good. How are you feeling? I'm good. We had a pretty exciting week at Big Screen, so I'm pretty, I'm pretty pumped. You guys had a launch today. We did. We did. We just launched a new uh, kind of 3D drawing in VR thing. Uh, it's really well received, and people love it. That's pretty slick. Um, we'll talk. We'll talk a lot. I want to hear more about that. But so, just I guess to introduce yourself, maybe take like 10 seconds. Introduce yourself. What? Who you are? What you? What you do? And I don't know. All right. Well, my name's Tarshan. I'm a software engineer, startup founder. Typical person. I am the founder and CEO of a small virtual reality startup based in Berkeley, California. We make this kind of productivity collaboration uh, operating system of sorts for VR and AR headsets. Cool. Perfect. Okay. I'll uh, I'll send you that clip. You can use that in other places to introduce yourself. Uh, <laughs> that's pretty good. Um, cool. So this is this is good. I've I've been actually kind of uh, excited to talk to you about VR a little bit more um, because I haven't spent too much time looking into it or playing with it even. And I'm sure that's true for a lot of people. A lot of people hear a lot about it. They hear about Oculus and Vive, but maybe they played with it once at a friend's house, but don't know too much about it. So I'm hoping to get um, dive into that a little bit and understand more about like the landscape of VR and AR, and then kind of hear a little bit more about what you guys are doing at big screen, if that works out. Is that all right? Yeah, that sounds fun. Perfect. Okay, cool. So let's get, maybe let's just go high level uh, with virtual reality. Um, how, I guess, how is it doing? So the VR is actually doing uh, extremely, it's doing really well um, in the sense that it's healthy. Uh, one of the interesting things over the past few years that I've observed, I've been working on, on VR full time for uh, about over three years at this point. And I noticed about, when I first got started three years ago, nobody was talking about VR. There was no industry attention. Analysts weren't paying attention to it. There was not much attention whatsoever. And then Facebook bought Oculus for, for $2 billion. That brought all the analysts. That brought all the attention. Things started to ramp up. And about a year and a half ago or two years ago, analysts started putting out these crazy expectations and uh, kind of levels of where VR is going to be. Um, dropping like billions and trillions and like kind of everything, just like pulling numbers. I don't know out of where, but uh, weird. Yeah, there was an enormous amount of hype and expectations from people. I think outside uh, the industry and for everybody within the industry, I think we had a pretty good grasp of where the hardware was, where the hardware is going to be in 12 months. Um, so from our perspective, from from my perspective as the founder of a VR company, from uh, from the perspective of various people who are um, building actual businesses and expecting VR sales, the industry is healthy. Headsets are being sold. Headsets are being used and not thrown into closets. And people are making money. Businesses are making money. Uh, the apps and games are, uh, while still in their infancy, are showing a lot of promise and getting traction and people love it. So VR gotcha. today is healthy. It's doing well. Okay. Yeah, because I guess... What ends up happening is a lot of people um, were blown away by what, like what the app store, like the app store was able to do for new companies and new ideas and kind of pushing forward technology. And everyone's kind of asked, like, well, what's the next version of that? Um, right. And people say, is it VR? Maybe it's VR. And so I think there's like some um, unrealistic maybe expectations mm -hmm. on VR to become that quickly. Um, yeah, I, I think what everybody understood correctly was the potential for VR and AR uh, to replace the way uh, we interact with computers and content, entertainment and productivity and everything. And, and that's much about what we're working on even at big screen. Uh, I think the only thing that people weren't, um, that people might have been wrong about is the, the timeline. I think VR and AR uh, will take 10 to 20 years before every single person has a VR AR headset that they use for 10 to 20 hours a day uh, compared to, uh, I mean, that's where we are with mobile and smartphones today. Right. Uh, it'll take a long time to get that. We are not there yet today and that's okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, you have to remember that back when, like, the iPhone was not the first smartphone. Um, there were smartphones for a while before that, and um, it. I mean, it's been a long time since that stuff kind of was invented to the point that, like, hey, it's coming and everybody has it and everybody uses it all the time. So the expectation that that right. takes hold in three years is just, I don't know, unrealistic. Yeah. So anytime you look at VR today, when you consider a headset or buying software or even using it, you have to put it through that lens of it, this is still like early adopter hardware and software. It's right. not meant to be mainstream today. And it's, and, and it's not like a software company where you launch a new app in the app store and if it's popular and successful can grow to 500 million users over the first few years, right? Like that is conceivable right. um, when it comes to making some iOS, you know, app or some other, right. Yeah. Or some other service. Um, but when it comes to VR, like, yeah, you just can't go in with those expectations. That's interesting. Okay. Um, and then I guess the other, uh, do you know, like, do you actually have any numbers on how many people have or use VR? Like how many people have a headset? Um, it depends. Uh, we do have number that can be publicly available numbers are, uh, between mobile console and PCR. Those are kind of the three industry segments. So mobile headsets are kind of like a Gear VR, a Samsung, or the Google Daydream. And the Gear VR has enormous numbers in terms of volume of sales. And these aren't just gifts or bundles, uh, actual sales. Uh, you're looking at about 5 million headsets, um, which is pretty, pretty significant. Huh. Uh, but the entry point is so cheap, um, and the amount of content and the quality of content um, there's an enormous amount of lower quality content, um, the kind of content that you might consume for a few minutes, and then that's about it. Uh, so the usage and uh, of the headsets on, on mobile headsets are, are extremely different from the PC or console uh, VR headsets, uh, where people might use them once or twice, and they typically do go back into, into the closet. Um, but the numbers, the sheer numbers of people that, that actually have a mobile VR headset is pretty massive. Hmm. And that's okay. growing pretty quickly as yeah. more and more mobile headset manufacturers uh, start to build out high-quality, cheap, affordable mobile VR headsets. Do you uh, The console, yes. Do you view those as, like, real virtual reality? Like, there's only so that's much you question. can kind of do with it. Um, you know, the, the devices aren't powerful or aren't that powerful and... I'm assuming you're kind of, you don't have quite the uh, um, screening. Yeah, fidelity, right. Yeah. It has trade-offs. I do think it is real VR. It's just not good enough VR. Um, uh, it's not the kind of headset that you can wear for hours and hours on end, especially because the battery life of the headset itself is fairly low because you're tethered. You're actually just you're wearing a smartphone quite literally. Um, right. And you are running a very intensive um, virtual reality application on your headset, uh, which is extremely demanding on the graphics uh, and CPU of that device. So our average session times tend to actually be longer than the entire battery life um, for big screen on the PC. So from that perspective, it's, it's VR. It's just not good enough yet. But that's going to change over the next few years. You're talking about the first or second generation of mobile VR headsets, and they have been iterating on that um, every six to 12 months. So you can expect that to get a lot better. Hmm. Um, but it's, it's just not quite good enough yet on, okay. on the mobile VR side. Yeah. Uh, let's talk a little bit about console and PC VR. That's where things start to get really exciting because while it is a bit more expensive, you start to get actually compelling VR experiences. Um, and most of the experiences today are very much for, uh, gamers, but that's, that's been shifting over the past year. Um, especially with products like Screen coming out, which are not exclusively really meant for gamers, but for, for everybody. Um, so the consoles, uh, you've got the, the PSVR at about $400, $500. Uh, it works with your existing PS4, and there's, I believe, 50 million or more PS4s out there. Um, so it's a, while it's still a bit expensive, um, there you start to get what proper VR uh, is like. So you have positional tracking, which means you can move your head around, um, and actually get, feel like you're in a different world. With mobile VR, you can move your head just rotationally. You can look around, right. but you can't actually move, move your head. Um, your head's not tracked that way, so it doesn't really work. Oh, okay. uh, and so that can cause... 
So with like the PS4, you get head tracking. Right. Okay. Uh, PSVR actually has a camera um, that you mount kind of near your TV, and it tracks your your head and your hand motions and everything. So you do get that proper VR experience. Um, and that's the, that's the kind of minimum bar for a good VR experience because that's when you start to not have the common uh, nausea issues. So there's so many reasons mm-hmm. why you get nausea and headaches with VR. And a lot of that was just really bad hardware that wasn't good enough. And the Gear VR kind of toes that line. Without positional tracking, if you move your head a little bit and what you see in your eyes doesn't correspond with the movement of your head, uh, it confuses your your brain and your vestibular system, and like your your actual body starts to feel sick because it's it thinks it's been poisoned. Oh, interesting. So, yeah. So a lot of the the misconceptions about all of VR causes people to get sick and how it'll ever go mainstream, it's really due to to either bad hardware, like the hardware is just not good enough yet, or it's due to people writing bad software that doesn't perform well enough, um, or makes the pe- person uh, wearing the headset. Uh, feel sick because you're throwing them down a roller coaster. Uh, you probably feel right. sick in the world too. Yes, that is like one of the few apps that I've tried, and it's terrible. Yeah, that's probably not the best introduction to VR. Uh, unfortunately, as common as it is, the the roller coaster is one of the worst ways to to try VR. But what? But I guess it's I guess it's common for people to have that be their first experience because it's such an easy. I mean, it's such, an, it's such a simple concept, and it's probably pretty right. easy to actually make also, right? Because it's you're, right. on a, you're on a track, you're not, yeah. That's just where we are today. Um, there are actually a lot of reasons. Um, so for, uh, on, a, on a brain and kind of the, the body level, um, when you make a person feel like they are moving, um, by showing them visual cues of motion. So like when you wear that headset and you feel like you're on a roller coaster and you see a lot of this motion, but if your body doesn't feel um, motion, that mismatch causes various forms of sickness. So that's like car sickness, seasickness, motion sickness. That's kind of the root cause. Mm-hmm. So that's why like the roller coaster VR apps are one of the worst VR apps because you, you're trying to make the user feel like they're in motion when they are not. And the body knows that it's not in motion. Um, little hairs in your ear can tell that you're not in motion, but your eyes are telling the brain, I'm in motion, I'm in a roller coaster. So uh, I strongly discourage anybody yeah. from uh, demoing those roller coasters, uh, those VR roller coasters. They're, they're not good. Yeah. Makes sense. Um... So uh, let's say, um, oh wait, so that's that's uh, that's the console. That's like PS4 we were talking about. You didn't even get into right, like Oculus right. and Vive. Do you want to go on those a little bit? Yeah. So so that's kind of the the level above, and this is this is proper high end VR. Um, so these headsets are from six hundred to eight hundred dollars, um, rather than the PSVR, which is around four hundred. Um, is the PSVR four hundred dollars? Is that just is that after you have the PS4, it's a $400 headset? Right. It, it's an addition. In addition to your PS4, it's a $400 headset okay. with yep. some accessories that you buy. So I, th- I think it ends up being around 500 something like that, all included with some games and everything. Um, and the Oculus Rift starts uh, the bottle and everything. You can get them for like $600 uh, with the touch controllers and everything you need. Um, and the PC Vibe is a bit more expensive than that, it's about 700 to 800. Um, and that's kind of the, the high-end proper VR. That is the best VR experience you can get on the market today. There's a few more headsets that are coming out over the next six months that are extremely high quality that are kind of another step uh, ahead of where the Oculus Rift and HTC Vive are today. Uh, those two headsets are exactly one year old uh they released uh to the public uh Mm -hmm. one year ago as of about a couple weeks ago so uh they're already a year old and in six months uh kind of in holiday 2016 uh they're the uh, version 1.5 um a kind of good step above um the oculus rift and hcc5 but this this is the high-end high-end market and this is where you start to get the really compelling vr experiences the really compelling games that people play for hours and hours and hours. 
um, including apps like Big Screen. Although that being said, we do plan to, um, we haven't gotten to what Big Screen is yet, but uh, we will be on all the different devices. So it's Big Screen is not the kind of application that you need a high-end VR headset for. Okay. Um, but some of the best games out there are built for the Rift and the Vive. Okay, so um, why? Okay, so help me understand why that is. So you're saying so, uh, you're saying that the, the, the best so experiences, yeah, are on the Vive and the Oculus. But like, why can't yeah. you have those same on the PS4? Is it because the apps aren't there, right. or because the hardware is better? Uh, it's a couple things. The hardware is better. The the display resolution on the Oculus Rift and the HTC Vive um, are equal. Uh, but it's a good bit above the display resolution of the PSVR. And the display resolution, the kind of actual display that they use, um, there are all sorts of uh, technical details about the, the specifications of these displays that really matter. And the, those specifications that matter are probably 20 to 30% better on the Rift of the Vive. Um, whether it's the number of pixels, the fill factor, like uh, all these things. And, and they end up directly impacting your quality of VR experience, because those uh, specifications impact um, what is called a screen door effect. Uh, so if, if you're familiar with a screen door uh, and you look through it, you see these lines, uh, you don't get a perfectly clear view of the world outside your place. Right. Um, you can get that kind of experience on the lower resolution displays. Uh, if you go back two, three years to the VR developer kits that we built big screen on, they had these horrible screen door effects where you could actually see the lines between each of the pixels. Um, it's very hmm. distracting, very low resolution, very hard to uh, read text. It's very hard to, to you know, have a great experience when you see these lines. It literally feels like you're, you're looking at this world through a screen door. So the Rift and the Vive greatly improve on that for by 20 to 30%. And the uh, V1.5, the next generation of headsets that are coming out in about six or so months, um, they're also another 20 to 30% better than where the Rift and the Vive are today. Hmm. So that's just one piece. The, the resolution, the specifications yeah. are a bit better, uh, but tracking is a little bit better as well. So tracking is the kind of the concept of like when you move your head around or your hands around, does it accurately, precisely, and quickly uh, track where your the position is? And the, the HTC Vive, for example, can do sub-millimeter uh, precision tracking uh, of your controllers in your hands and your head. Um, I believe some of the tracking is done at a thousand hertz, and some of it is done at, I want to say, two hundred hertz. Don't quote me on that. Um, and too and late. You, are, for... you just quoted yourself on it. <laughs> I'm, I'm quoted. I'm quoted. Um, and and that's, that's but that's crazy. Kind of that's really speed. fast. Yeah. Yeah, um, but you'd be surprised how quickly you can move your hand, uh, especially in terms of rotations and kind of quick movements while you. Yeah, I have really uh, good reflexes. Yeah, right. Yeah, I've, I've heard about the famous <laughs> Millar reflexes. That's right. Um, so the the tracking part is much better, and the bigger piece is just how kind of all of the pieces function. Right, you're connected to a high end Windows PC. Uh, with a graphics card that is probably a good bit better than the uh, PS4 uh, CPU and GPU. So this allows you to run much higher-end experiences. This allows you to render higher-quality, higher-resolution applications. So it just looks, feels, and performs uh, better all across the board. So that's why you want to uh, – that's the, the benefit of stepping up from that 500-level tier to the 600 to 800-level tier. Um, gotcha. So I actually have a, a somewhat controversial opinion when it comes to uh, the price of VR and whether it's going to go down and VR is too pricey today. Um, All-inclusive, the high-end VR, the PC VR uh, segment, you'll need about a $500 to $1,500 PC. Um, $600 PCs will have most of the components you need and will work properly with high-end VR. So all-inclusive, the total cost of owning a VR headset on, in the PC world is only about $1,000. Um, about a year okay. ago, it would have been about $1,500, but that, that kind of bar that you need, the performance of your PC is dropping and dropping and dropping. So in about six months, um, your average 
uh, $400, $500 Windows PC will be able to run really great VR experiences. So the cost of ownership and kind of the whole, all the systems that you need, the PC, the headset, the controllers, you can have it for hmm. 800 or less. Okay. Um, and uh, the immediate reaction from a lot of people will be, that is so much money. Like, why yeah. would you spend $800 on, on something like that? And you're right. It's a lot of money. Um, but my theory is that it's it's a there's a kind of utility hump that you need to get over. Um, the product, hardware, and software, the whole ecosystem needs to provide sufficient utility to convince customers to go out and adopt these systems. It's not about price. It's, it's about price and utility at the same time. So if sure. you provide sufficient utility to the customer, um, that will justify the price. And the way I approach this is that the quality of VR and AR, the kind of quality of hardware and software that you can provide a customer if the budget is $50, is really not that compelling. Um, <laughs> and, and the comparison to make here is your smartphone. So right. most people listening to this right now are probably on a smartphone that costs about $600 to $800. And or 1000 right. Or 1000 right? If you, if you want the 128 gigs and, and all of that. Um, I mean, I think my iPhone cost me 900 bucks. Yeah. Seven yeah. plus with if, 128. Go back 10 right. years, right? Go back 10 years. If you told 10 years ago, told yourself, you're going to pay $1,000 for a phone. Yeah, no way. Plan for the phone, a phone. You would laugh. You'd be like, why would I possibly do that? And you'd say, but apps. And you're but like, apps. Like, I, I've got Snake on my phone, man. Yeah. I don't need anything else. I already this have texting. I already have, yeah. Exactly. Right, I mean, I it, it, it I... seemed expensive when Apple first launched with a $200 iPhone, totally. right? Like, it it seemed fairly, it was, ooh, man, I don't know, that's uh, that's pretty pricey. An iPhone cost me $30. I remember when the iPhone 3GS came out, and I was thinking, I mean, I'm on a college campus, I've got Wi-Fi everywhere, do I really need, like, internet on my phone? Do I need maps? Like, I don't go anywhere. I really don't need Google Maps on my phone. I, I'm good with, with location. And then 10 years later, we can't imagine living without one. Yeah. So I always justify it like this. I think, okay, $900 seems like a lot for a phone. But considering how much my phone gets used every day, um, right. it, it's not that crazy, right? Like, you can have a phone. Let's say you pay $900 for a phone. You want to upgrade every year, so a year later you sell that same phone for four to five hundred, depending on mm-hmm. how good a care you sure. take of it. Let's say four hundred. Okay, so you spend five hundred dollars for a phone for one year. That's less than two dollars a day. Like considering mm-hmm. all of the stuff you pay for in your life, like all of the crap, like how much you spend on Taco Bell or on <laughs> like hot Cheetos or whatever it is, like pick something that you, or coffee or Diet Coke, right? Like. A dollar fifty a day is nothing for something that you use ten hours a day. Your phone, right? Like, you're all yeah. So it's like it's not that crazy. And our our lives are on our phone now, right? From email to messaging to like the amount of time that we would have spent um, previously only on our computers and only on our phones uh, has now kind of blown up. So the reason why I bring the phones example is to put into context where VR and AR is headed. Uh, I personally do not believe that the price of VR or AR should or will go far below uh, $800. I think that is a great price point um, to start out with on the high end. There will be lower end devices because I do think VR and AR will one day be as widely adopted as smartphones are today. You can actually get really high quality $50 to $100 smartphones um, all around the world. And that's part of the kind of, uh, you know, the Android ecosystem and exploding beyond just iPhones on the high end. So it will happen. There will be high-quality, low-cost AR and VR headsets in the future, but it's got to start at the high end so that we can make something that's actually compelling so someone would actually use it for a sufficient amount of time right. to to justify the R&D and the, uh, the cost of the software and everything like that. Yep, so, that makes sense. I think the, the way we should be approaching this is really how do we get the utility of VR and AR? And, and at this point, it's really it's, it's a software question. And that's why I'm actually working on a, a startup full time and why we're doing well and all that is because this is now a software opportunity. It's, it's now up to people like ourselves to just make 
useful software that's either compelling from a entertainment perspective or productivity perspective or whatever it may be to make something so useful that people find value out of the $800 that they put into a headset. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, if you wanted, if you were going to make it cheap, it's going to suck. And if you don't make it expensive, you're not going to get people working on it. Um, right. right. So you have to have some sort of balance to push it forward so that five years from now we can look back and say, Hey, remember when we didn't have VR? That was weird. Um, how do we ever get anything done? Um, <laughs> and one, one interesting uh, kind of older example, uh, would be the early days of the PC industry where, when you compensate for inflation and such, people were spending five to $10,000 um, to have a personal computer um, at home or work um, to use uh, word processing tools, desktop publishing tools, um, and to play video games. And obviously all of those categories became massive uh, and led to many uh, massive companies that we know and love today, Adobe and Autodesk. Uh, Mac OS with Apple and everything like all that entire industry started with computers that cost four to ten thousand dollars and today nobody's buying four to ten thousand dollar computers no. almost almost nobody and so so the reason why I bring that up is because you might you might think that eight hundred dollars is a lot for a VR headset but if we can build software and hardware that is so compelling and provides so much value to your day-to-day -day life you would be willing to spend $2,000 on a VR headset and whatever else is needed for it. Yeah. That makes sense. That's, is, that's probably is, like a, a good segue into like why we're actually doing big screen and what big screen is about and, and uh, how yeah. we can solve that problem. How yeah, we can make our AR actually useful. Yeah. I do want to hear about that. Um, I want to, I, I do want to, I want to hear all about big screen, but I also want to hear about like, uh, but maybe we can do that next is like other apps that you, have found as like the most interesting things in VR. Um, but do big screen right. first. Talk, talk big screen. Okay. Okay. So like most things uh, that are completely new, like VR, it's very hard to put into words and context if you haven't actually tried VR before. Uh, it's like trying to explain what the internet is to somebody in 1980 that's never seen it or tried it or, or used apps. Sure. It would make no sense. Um, so with VR, you put on your headset, uh, and typically, you've got these controllers in your hands, and you can see this completely virtual world. You can uh, shoot things, or you can grab things and play with them, or you can draw. Uh, big screen, when you put on your headset, uh, the, the, the best way to understand what we're trying to accomplish with big screen um, is to think about your living room or your conference room at work, meeting rooms, your workstation at work. Uh, the types of things you do there. So think about who are you with? Oftentimes you're by yourself, and sometimes you're sitting next to some people on a couch. Sometimes you'll be in a conference room uh, with some people actually in it, and you're having a meeting. When you're in these rooms, uh, you often have your computers in front of you, and you have some sort of projection screen or a big TV or something uh, to collaborate or share content together or consume content together with the people that you're there. Or when you're watching Game of Thrones and you just want to watch on a big TV uh, and not like a 13-inch laptop screen, um, you put it up on your TV. So what we're doing with VR and AR headsets at big screen is to bring that experience into the virtual world. Uh, so we give you big virtual screens for you to use your existing applications today. So when you put on your headset, you will see in front of you your computer's desktop. So all the apps that are on it, Slack, Photoshop, Chrome, uh, but rather than seeing your desktop on that tiny little 13-inch laptop, you would see it on a big customizable screen. So you could pull up two videos in Chrome, but when you watch it, you're watching it with a VR headset on on this massive screen in a virtual living room. So if you're like me and you don't have a, a big TV and you want to watch some Game of Thrones, it's actually a lot more compelling to watch Game of Thrones on this massive TV that's 20 feet long and not just 60 feet long or sorry right. 60 inches long <laughs> 60 um, feet right <laughs> and to feel like you're in an IMAX theater to feel like you're in uh, space on Mars right we can take you to different worlds and bring your content with you so you've got this entire you've got decades of content whether it's uh, applications like Photoshop or infinite 
libraries, content like Netflix and YouTube. We now provide you a better way to experience that in VR. Because we can give you this big screen, we can give you this completely customizable um, computing environment. So it's also, everything I've said so far is about kind of bringing your computer into VR right. so you can use your existing applications. Every every single application you use today, you can use yeah. it in VR on these big screens. Um, you can have applications kind of off to your side. Uh, you can have multiple monitors. Like Does if, it, if okay. you want to have that, like, Oh yeah. Okay. So does it does it actually just replicate what is on your computer screen, or does it know what apps and you can kind of move them around and create ten different screens with you know one screen per app or what you know or like a, yeah that kind of control yeah. over it or it's a little bit of both. Um, and some of this is where we are today and where we're going. Uh, so today we primarily show you just your actual computer the way it's used today. Um, an actual desktop. We don't try to like grab applications based on how they're running and like move them out of the screen. We don't do some of that yet. We do have plans for doing that in the future. Hmm. Um, but some of the benefits of doing so, one of the reasons why we did that is because that's the highest performance, uh, kind of best user experience because you don't have to learn how to use your computer in VR. We don't really right. have an onboarding experience uh, for big screen because it's instantly intuitive. People spend hours and hours and hours using big screen, but they didn't need a tutorial because they know how to use their computer. They put their headset on, there's their computer, they're off the races. Um, but in the future, we're doing all sorts of stuff by building native applications. So we actually consider these screens to be legacy screens. When you see your desktop in VR, that's I consider that legacy desktop. That's your all of your old applications, your old ways of working, all the everything else you used before big screen came out. Okay. We're also building uh, kind of a native apps platform. So think of this as an operating system. We support all of your legacy apps on this operating system, but we're also creating new ones that are natively built for VR, natively tailored for this kind of experience. And that's kind of the direction we're headed in. So we're going to have a mix of both of everything you just said. We're going to have screens, content, videos, music players, everything you would want in a uh, kind of ideal living room or in an ideal office environment, but you can't either because of cost or physical limitations or things that are just not possible in the real world. That's the direction we're headed in. Okay, so, so what is so what are some of the examples of these uh, native apps that you guys have or maybe are or thinking maybe. about? Okay, yeah. so I'll give you two examples. Uh, one is something a little bit more consumer focused, and one is a little bit more collaboration and business focused, okay. which is uh, where the company kind of originated was to focus really on and, and where our like long-term focus and, and kind of the core culture of the company is about productivity, utility, collaboration. The consumer kind of tool that's native to VR that's not possible in your living room today, but would be really cool. Um, and we just released this today. It's uh, 3D drawing with these uh, 3D paintbrushes. So you've got uh, markers in your hand and you can draw in 3D space. So you can stand up, move around, you can draw like a snowman, but completely in 3D. Hmm. And that is not something you can do in the real world today. Uh, and in fact, even just drawing is just hard in the real world today. You might need paintbrushes, and you've got to clean up, and all that stuff. But but this allows you not just to draw spatially, but um, to just have fun. There's no cleanup. There's, not, there's nothing to do. It's just, it's fun. And you can do it with people who aren't even in the living room with you. So... Um, I know you and I live about an hour and a half, two hours away from each other uh, if the commute is good. And <laughs> and in the future, we could actually hang out in a living room together frictionlessly, just instantly in one click. It could feel like we were sitting side by side in order for us to do something, watch a movie together, play video games together, work together. And I know that sounds crazy today, but that sounds just as crazy if you went 50 years ago and you told people, we're going to be instant messaging each other. Sure. And I can send you a message, and anywhere in the world, you're going to get it, and we're going to talk. That, that's going to make no sense to anybody if you go really far back. For sure, yeah. Uh, a few decades. So let's extend out where we are now a decade. And, and at that point, when VR gets, uh, when hardware gets good enough, or AR, uh, when the hardware gets good enough, cheap enough, everybody has one, it starts to become really feasible for people to frictionlessly feel like they're in the same place for us to do uh, 3D drawing together. Um, there are actual huge benefits for, for 3D drawing. This isn't just a novelty. It isn't just a gimmick. And the reason for that is because as humans, we think very spatially. We have these ideas in our heads, um, and oftentimes they're in 3D. Or, or we, we, when we're kind of tackling problems um, for programmers that are listening, we have 
uh, simple text editors. And the only way we can organize all this information for our code is with tabbed browsing, right? Yeah, it's crazy. Tabs of code. And that's spatial, but that's spatial in a 2D sense. Right. It's just a bunch of tabs, and you got to keep your mind uh, which tab is which. But some of the other native apps in the kind of productivity direction that we can go down are our native text editors built into Big Screen that are spatial. So imagine having your front end code to your right, uh, your back end code to your left, um, a console to the server uh, off behind you, and a Spotify radio uh, to the side. Right, that's the kind of spatial computing world we are headed rapidly towards, um, and it will make us more productive because that's how our brain thinks. It, it, we are kind of trying to make, we're trying to understand computers and live within the constraint of computers and laptop screens today. Right, and VR allows us to kind of break away from that, so we can build this operating system, big screen, that allows us to interact with our computing needs, whether it's content, whether it's entertainment, whether it's text editors for programming, we can interact with them the way our brains think and be so much more productive. And once you throw collaboration and multiplayer into that, where I can, in one click, invite you two hours away from me into this like collaboration space so that we can code together and do a code review or design review or whatever and just actually work together frictionlessly and seamlessly, you start to become really more collaborative and productive as, as a team and as a, as a society. So those are some of the kind of native tools uh, that we can't do on a desktop. These are VR tools, VR applications. Right. Uh, that makes a lot of sense because, uh, yeah, the screens that we have on our computers, like I'm looking at my laptop right now. I mean, it's kind of the whole OS is built around the idea of how do you manage apps in this, you know, 2D world, right, that's confined within this screen. And people right. have people have tried to solve this in other ways, right? People, you go to some, especially like uh, engineers or maybe even gamers. You go to like their workstations and they have like six monitors set up, right? Where they have like <laughs> right. one app per monitor, and that's kind of how right. they work that way, right? Because people think that way. You say, no, I want, I want, you know, my email over here on the right, and I want my code right in front of me, and then I want this other thing exactly. up above, right? And you can kind of visually. Um, understand where things are and be more productive that way. So I totally understand right. um, that. What, what's the actual uh, mechanics of it? So if you have uh, apps all around you, are you like sitting in a swivel chair and like turning around or is it not quite like that? Like how does that actually work? That's basically it. So I, I use my VR headset every day and I'm sitting at my desk in my swivel chair when I'm doing that. So do you and work, do you build big screen inside big screen? Yes, uh, we oftentimes do. Um, and there are practical reasons for it because you'll actually see bugs that are happening. Sure. We're an entirely remote team as well. Um, so when uh, one of my teammates in London uh, hops into his headset and I hop into my headset and we're using big screen together, we can actually see the bugs that are happening and we can collaborate together by, we're not just dogfooding the product, but we're actually seeing the product when it's breaking, the latest builds, we can see what's going on and fix right. it right there in the product. Um, that being said, we only use this for, for limited collaboration sessions. So, hey, like, let's meet. But, you know, for, we, we do everything from text chat, audio chat, video chat, and these big screen hmm. collaboration meetings, right? Um, and the reason for that is the VR headsets aren't high resolution enough and aren't um, comfortable enough to wear uh, 10 to 15 hours a day. And the bet we're making as a company is that VR and AR headsets in 10 years will be so comfortable and so lightweight and so good that you would wear them for 10 to 15 hours a day. Right. Okay. How much time do you usually spend in VR a day? Um, anywhere from zero. Uh, there are definitely days where I, I have meetings or yeah. Um, I'm, I'm doing, I'm, I'm coding or something, uh, coding like text is especially hard to read, um, in these VR headsets. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, which is also why most of our use cases today are, are not, uh, text-based. It's movie watching games, things like that. So right. I might yeah. spend anywhere from zero to eight, 10 hours. Okay. Um, the longest meetings I've ever had are eight hour long meetings, um, with, uh, usually with either people I'm, I'm recruiting or people on the team. And uh, these are eight-hour-long collaboration sessions where there's oh, just wow. so much to talk about. Um, yeah. And you lose track of time. Uh, you actually forget that you're wearing a headset. You've, just like how sometimes you forget you're wearing glasses and you're looking where the glasses and you're actually wearing them. Yeah. Uh, 
just like that, you, you forget because the experience is so compelling. People that you're with are important. The things hmm. that you're discussing are important. Um, and the, it, we just kind of, everything gets out of the way and you can have your meeting, you can have a conversation, consume your content. Um, so the longest sessions I've had, I've had multiple of these, many of these are, are eight hours long. Uh, but in general, I'd say my average session is probably about 30 minutes to maybe an hour and a half if okay. I have a longer meeting. Yeah. Um, but I do all of my, my interviews and um, uh, in terms of like recruiting, all the interviews are done in VR, in big screen, and those typically are an hour long each. Wow. That's pretty cool. How, how much uh, control do you have over the environment? Like you said, you lose track of time. Can you like yeah. tie the sun in the in the <laughs> virtual world to like real time and stuff is that absolutely all of that stuff is totally possible it's actually fairly easy to do um it's only a matter of time and resources uh, we're sure. a very small company uh, right. we recently just hired our our fourth person we went from uh one to four in a very short period of time hey, that's pretty cool only yeah 10, uh by the end of the year so a 10 person company can you know we're very limited and, and need to focus but but we will have some of those reactive dynamic environments in the, in the near future. Yeah. Um, time of day, uh, cloudy environments, all that. So right now we have this like really high end apartment with living rooms, kitchens, a uh, couple kind of, uh, bedrooms and side side rooms for you like jam in, uh, this really cool balcony with a view of LA. Um, we have a couple theaters, we have a campfire, uh, and some like really, crazy space environments so that you feel like you're floating in the stars hmm. or so that you feel like you're on Mars. Um, so some of these crazier environments as well as some of the, uh, the more realistic real world environments will have a lot more in the near future. Yeah. Um, is, uh, do, is, is there like one specific use case that people tend to gravitate to? Like, do you see your users? Yeah. Is it mostly watching a movie by myself? Is it mostly right. playing games with a friend? So this is really interesting. Um, I, I kind of briefly alluded to this earlier. Uh, two and a half, three years ago, my, my approach into BigStream was very much about uh, utility. Coming from a background, my previous startup, I built with developer tools. So, uh, ideas and products that I've been deeply interested in are, are tools, utility, value to people to make them more productive and collaborative. So my approach was to focus on that, but I knew for sure that VR headsets weren't going to be good enough for programming um, and a lot of actual productivity for a very long time. And, and it's going to be that way for probably another two years. Uh, it probably won't be until 2019 or 2020 where we can realistically work in VR every day for your work week for sure. hours or more a week. Yeah. So I, knowing that we built a very general purpose product that can be used, uh, you can pull up whatever you want on your computer and use it. Right. Um, so if we focused our marketing, it's a general purpose product, just like your Mac or Windows, right? These are meant for gaming, for watching movies, for programming, whatever you do on it, you can do. So similarly, uh, we tailored our marketing towards consumer entertainment uh, use cases, and that remains the uh, most popular use cases. So it's watching movies, it's playing video games, playing your favorite 2D video games like uh, yeah. Counter-Strike or Overwatch or Rocket League, like all these like really popular yeah. video games, now play them on a massive screen with your friends in a virtual living room. Um, and that's also reinforced kind of uh, why our our metrics and engagement numbers have been kind of insane. So we see our power users spend about 20 to 30 hours a week using Whoa. VR headset. Um, and that's one of the surprising things. So, so we dug in, we tried to figure out like, what are people doing for so many hours? Like why is our average session time? We're approaching 200,000 users and our average is about 40 minutes. Um, and wow. a lot of people, you know, we're still in beta. So a lot of people are crashing and obviously the session times, if you're crashing instantly is like a second or a couple seconds. Mm -hmm. Right. So the average is, is actually quite skewed. Um, and we've been trying to understand like, why are people spending so much? How is this even possible? I didn't expect this engagement um, right. or retention or usage this early on. Like we're talking about metrics that we expected in two years today. And the reason is because when you're watching a movie and time fades away and the environment feels comfortable and the light from the movie is just like shining in this environment around you. Kind of like, kind of like those like Phillips hue things that you can stick yeah, on your TV totally. and it'll make the light in the room feel like the, the TV itself. Um, so when, when you're in this like really great environment and it feels comfortable and, and if you're with people that you are hanging out with and you like them, 
you can just play for hours and hours and hours. You can watch movies for hours and hours every night. So one of the things we saw um, were people making these rooms. Uh, so, so provide a little bit of context. You can use big screen just by yourself. So that's single player uh, with your friends in a private room. So people you already know or okay. publicly with random internet strangers. Uh, Seems I have dangerous. no idea what the break, <laughs> right? It, it, it is definitely the wild west of the internet. So you, you meet everybody. You can meet people from Australia, England, Germany, China, Saudi Arabia, like literally all over the world. You will meet interesting, cool people, potentially hmm. weird people, potentially like you, you see everything, right? You see the internet. Um, and for some people, that is a compelling experience, right? To hang out with random people, to meet new people. That is actually a compelling experience. Um, for a lot of people who uh, don't get to travel, you get to actually meet interesting people um, and interact with them and do something with them that you otherwise would simply not be able to. So, yeah. It's uh, like old chat room days, old, but higher fidelity. Yeah. Exactly. Way, way exactly. more personal. You can feel it's way more intimate because you can actually do things and feel like you're in a living room with people around the world. Uh, it's actually bringing people uh, together. It's really connecting people in a, in a meaningful way. So those are the three ways you use big screen. I didn't know a year ago when we launched, uh, big screen is now just over a year old. I didn't know what the breakdown was going to be, but it turns out um, about 70% of time ends up being spent in single player. And hmm. about 15% is privately with people you already know. And about 15% is publicly um with random internet strangers. And wow. that kind of makes sense um, because you spend most of your time on your computer, on your laptop today in single player, right? Effectively not talking to anybody. You're just, you, you might be using social apps, but you're not actually like sitting side by side with someone. Um, I hope you're not spending 15 hours a day watching movies um, with people, <laughs> right? Like you typically aren't socializing uh, that much. Depends on who it is. <laughs> I mean, I mean, there are definitely those days when a Netflix show comes out and you binge it all in a weekend. That's so true. Definitely done. But, uh, but that's why our, our usage numbers are so high is because people are spending so much time either in single player or with their friends or with random internet strangers uh, consuming movies. Oftentimes, uh, it's, you're watching a movie just by yourself, and then you get an invite from a friend, and you go hang out with that friend, and you maybe play some video games together. And they're like, I should probably get some work done. So you leave, and then you work in single player again. So these sessions are long and productive and enjoyable, and it keeps people coming back over and over again. That's pretty awesome. So you said you said something about uh, two hundred thousand users or something like that. That seems yeah, like a lot for a virtual that. reality app. It it is. Uh, we're one of the most used, most downloaded, highest <laughs> rated. Um, we are doing pretty well all across the board, um, but it's still beta. My my uh, outlook to big screen is is I see all the bugs and everything that we need to do, and it's just like, ah, oh, this product sucks. There's so much you have to do. <laughs> so I'm actually surprised people are using it so much because I only see um, room for improvement. Sure. Uh, we're still very much in a beta. We're hoping to launch like a 1.0 uh, in about six months, kind of where we feel like the product is is in a kind of stable state. Um, yeah, we'll be on mobile devices and a lot more VR and AR headsets by the end of the year. So 200,000 is pretty small because I'm hoping we'll hit a million in about uh, six to 12 months. That's pretty cool. And uh, it's gonna be a it's gonna be a wild ride over the next few years because a lot of people are gonna start buying VR headsets, and I think a lot of people um, don't realize that they might actually get 20 to 30 hours a week of value out of a headset. So when you ask our power users, uh, this the, that $800 headset that they bought is totally worth it. We actually have users that upgraded their internet connection and bought new PCs just so that they can get a better, higher fidelity experience in big screen because they're using it that much. Oh, wow. That's pretty awesome. It's going to be fun. That's gonna, yeah, that's going to make you feel pretty good or pretty excited at least. So uh, you Definitely guys... Excited, you, yeah. you, you guys actually just raised a round, right? You just raised money? Yeah, we raised it, we raised it uh, last year, and we just announced it. Oh, we okay. About, uh, we raised as little as possible. Um, one of the mistakes I'm seeing people make, especially in VR, especially in frothy markets, is to raise as much as they can. <laughs> um, and in frothy markets uh, or hyped-up markets, uh, you can easily raise $20 million, um, or more uh, on no little or no traction. There, there are plenty of Whoa. VR companies that have – more employees than daily active users. Um, really? And I think that's kind of, 
kind of embarrassing and dangerous. Yeah. Um, it's not you, good. You would think so that at least the of... employees were daily active users. Uh, yeah. It's not. <laughs> um, it's no, bad. it's often not the case. <laughs> uh, so that it's, that's a dangerous way to build a company. And, uh, and our approach has been to raise as little as possible at reasonable valuations um, where an acquirer could actually acquire you at a multiple of that valuation rather than the opposite, right. um, which is the way most companies are currently operating. Yeah. Um, so things are healthy. Things are good. We're raising as little as we can to build out the team over the next uh, year or two. We're going to go from 1 to 10 over the next year, and maybe in two years we'll be about 15. I want to keep this as small as possible because I think much smaller companies can get a lot more done. Um, I actually think like 100 people can get less done than four or five extremely motivated, extremely talented people sitting together in a in a virtual room, not a not necessarily a physical office. We don't no, have a physical office. Yeah, here. but but that's <laughs> but that's totally true. I mean, uh, a lot of companies make that mistake and get excited about building a big company and hire really quickly, and it just slows them down and makes it. I mean, makes every it makes a lot of things a lot harder. Um, yeah. and they, and they struggle because also, of it. So it comes down to like what your motivations are as a startup founder, uh, is your motivation to have the most valuable company. Well, one quick way to do that is just to raise as much money as the highest valuation possible. And then you could pretend like you have a thing that's worth a billion dollars, but in reality, uh, it's just propped up by high valuations. Uh, right. You can hire a lot of people and you have a really big company, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's the best company to work at or a great product or a sustainable company that's going to be around for the long term. Yep. So our motivations are to build, grow, survive, have great, have a great product that people actually enjoy using on a daily basis so that we can build the killer app that drives headset adoption so that 10 years from now, we are the app that people are using for 10 hours every day. We are the operating system or, or set of tools that people use on a daily basis for 10 hours a day or more if you are a night owl. Right. And if you want to get there, you want to be practical about how much you hire, uh, how many people you hire, how much you raise, and, and all that stuff. So, no, you, gotta, small, you have to pace yourself. Right. build on what we have. We're going to pace ourselves. Uh, we have a much more longer-term outlook. We're not trying to build... Uh, a quick thing and, and flip it in six months and move on. So yeah, um, so you're looking. You, so you're looking to hire a few more people this year. Any roles in particular that you're looking for? Yeah. So one of the interesting things about Big Screen is actually that a lot of what we built is built on traditional web technologies. Uh, we use a lot of WebRTC, so that's a that's a peer-to-peer technology that's still in its infancy. Um, uh, it's been around for about five or ten years. Uh, we build a lot on Node.js and Redis and uh, Unity, which is a, a game engine that people use to build. It's like 99% of the games in the world, mobile and PC included, are, are built on Unity. Um, but our entire user interface is built on web technologies. So literally mm-hmm. HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. Um, Bootstrap, jQuery, React, like the, your traditional uh, web tools that you use today um, the vast, a good chunk of big screens code bases is built on that. Our, Interesting. Our user okay. networking, all that stuff. The reason why I bring that up is that, uh, yeah, of course, we're hiring graphics programmers, we're hiring 3D artists, we're hiring Unity developers. These are people that require fairly specialized skill sets, right, uh, in graphics yeah. and, and games. Um, but we're also hiring a very kind of half the company is, is actually very uh, traditional Silicon Valley. So we're talking about uh, user interface design, user experience designers. Um, just 2D UI design. If you know how to design great 2D UIs on the web, you'd be great for our full stack or uh, our 2D UI design roles. So we're hiring actually quite a few people just on on very traditional um, hmm. web development, backend development um, roles. Yeah. Are they all engineering roles? Yeah, so we're a very engineering-driven company. That's probably because uh, I myself am an engineer, sure. and uh, we're definitely going to be very engineering-driven. So I, uh, the way we're going right now, the, the roles we have out there, we're looking at about 70% engineering, so about seven people or so in engineering, um, and probably the rest are, are design and art, um, as well as contracting a few folks for, for 3D modeling and environments um, and, and maybe a product and BD role in a year or two. Okay, uh, but, but 
for now, we're going to be heavily engineering focused, and and that's kind of the kind of product we're building, right? We're building this, this tool that's meant to provide utility. So we need to focus on user experience and interaction design. So if you've got good chops in interaction design in uh, web or mobile applications, you can now take those chops and figure out. So what if I have the entire world, the entire space around me to to think and interact with applications? Um, yeah, which is complex design problems. Which is a pretty cool challenge, right? Because a lot of people have yeah. been, I've heard a lot of people talking about like, oh, you know what, maybe it's time for a, a different, uh, like kind of like a different take on what I've been working on my whole career, right? Like what's the totally. next thing for me to learn? And it's, you know, same concepts, but a completely new way to learn and apply that thing um, in yeah, a 3D exactly. world. So, Like the, the people who, who came up with mobile design paradigms, mobile interaction designs that we're, we're still using today, 10 years later, um, it's, it's not like they had 10 years of mobile experience when they got started with that. It was often people who were really great web designers uh, who got the iPhone and invented pull to refresh. Right. And that's the opportunity we have here. So if people have really strong design chops, you can bring that in to solve these critical interaction design problems in VR. Um, the hurdle is actually... Uh, the barrier to entry is actually a lot lower than people think. It sounds extremely intimidating. sounds like you have to learn 3D graphics and C++, all that stuff, but you don't. Having gone through it myself, I came from a uh, web development, back-end development, mobile development background. Um, I did not study game design. I did not do C++ programming and graphics programming. Uh, I just did that for fun on the side a little bit, but like, I'm, by no means am I an expert at any of those things. So that's one of the kind of misconceptions about how to get into VR. Uh, it's actually a lot easier than you might assume. Okay. Cool. I like it. I think that's a that's a good place to leave it. Unless there's anything else you want to add. Yeah. That's about it. It's uh, it's a nascent industry, but I think the there's really no doubt in my mind whether VR and AR are the future of computing. I, I literally mean that. Like, we won't be using personal computers and laptops the way we're using them today. Uh, they will be consumed and interacted with via AR and VR devices. The only question left is, is when? Is it going to be in five years or 10 years? Maybe 15 years, but uh, realistically, something between five and 10 years. So but probably not past that, right? that. It's just about time. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully not past beyond that, but... Uh, I think the hardware is good enough, and uh, considering our usage numbers, I think it's only gonna only gonna grow from here. Hmm. That's pretty cool. All right, that's exciting. Uh, thanks, yeah, yeah thanks for I'm, thanks for chatting through this. This is this is actually really cool. Where can uh, if people want to check out Big Screen, what's the best way for them to go see that? Yeah, we're gonna see what you guys are up to. So you can uh, you can go to our website. It's uh, bigscreenvr.com. Uh, we post quite a bit of uh, of gifts and videos and information on our Twitter page as well. Also at bigscreenvr, and uh, follow us on there. We post a little bit on Facebook, but uh, I think the best ways to find us are our website and our Twitter. Cool. It looks awesome. I mean, it, everything like the designs are beautiful. I mean, is is that actually your doing? Did you design these spaces and stuff? Uh, some of them, yes, but a lot of them, uh, the 3D environments are contracted out or purchased from um, artists themselves. Yeah. Uh, we don't we don't have a full time uh, 3D artist on staff, uh, but we might in the in the very near future. That's cool. No, they look great. It looks. I actually haven't played with it yet. I mean, I know that we've met up before and kind of played with some other VR apps and games and stuff, but I haven't played with big screen yet. So we gotta we gotta make that happen we'll sometime. Make that happen. Yeah. We'll make it happen. Cool. All right. Well, thanks for joining. That was awesome. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This is exciting. No, like, I'm actually really excited about VR. I think that there's a big opportunity. People are kind of uh, squirmish, and they don't like the idea of putting a screen on their head and kind of checking out into a fake world because that, for some reason, scares people off, which I get. Um, it seems weird, and it seems unnatural, and it seems, I don't know, just kind of... Uh, I don't know, just like what it's we've boring, always like been warned. It's what we've always been warned against, right? Like, don't do that because like that never ends well. <laughs> but but the opportunities and like the types of things that it can enable are really cool and uh, kind of have like take what our phones have done for us one step further in terms of being able to connect people and um, yeah, and kind of flatten the earth, as they say. I'm really excited about it as somebody that has a long commute. 
um, that if this <laughs> if this actually becomes a thing where five years from now there's no expectation that you have to commute anywhere on a regular basis, that'd be pretty freaking awesome. So. I will make an on-the-record bet that in five years, you will be considering an opportunity where you don't have to commute and you can work in a virtual office with your colleagues with a VR or AR headset. And you will consider it because in five years, it'll feel very, very tempting compared to the cost of commuting for uh, two to four hours a day. In fact, sure. uh, an, an employee that just joined uh, very recently uh, gave up her three-hour daily commute on a good day uh, to, to work on big screen with a 33-second uh, commute, I guess. Ah, so That sounds awesome. It's the future. Cool. Good. It's exciting. Well, thanks, dude. It was good talking to you. Yep. Good talking to you. We'll set up a demo and uh, show you big screen sometime soon. All right. We'll do it. See you, everybody. All right. See you.